I want to begin with a very simple question. How great is Jesus? Oh, good, good. I like your answers. I think we need to ask this question in reference to a, a couple of different things. So, how great is Jesus? So, I want to compare Jesus to a few different people this morning, just to, just to evaluate the greatness of Jesus. And so, the first person I want to compare Jesus to is Michael Jordan. Right? So, a lot of people, myself included, probably myself in particular, believe that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to have ever lived. And for you kids that didn't have the privilege of growing up watching him, just look at his hand, and, and that, should, that should help you understand some of the greatness that was Michael Jordan. He was, he was defined by these championships in the 90s when I was a kid, which was, you know, so much fun for me to watch. And I've, I've continued being a fan of the team, but I'm a huge fan of him and always will be. You know, to, to show you how great of a fan I am of Michael Jordan, let me show you my favorite movie. Yeah, okay, so I'm not alone. That is shocking. <laughs> this, by all critical standards, is a terrible movie. It is my favorite and has been for a long time. And, and so it was at the formative age in my childhood where Looney Tunes were awesome because that was good cartoons. And then you combine my favorite basketball player of all time with that, and it was a match made in heaven for me. It was just incredible. In fact, I appreciate Michael Jordan so much that I actually have a child who may or may not be named after Michael Jordan. <laughs> My child in the next picture, this is Micah. His name is Micah Jordan Tatum, uh, for those of you who didn't know that. Is there a connection or is there not? I don't know. You know, the, the medication that Lindsay was on when she had Micah and asked me what the name of our child was has been brought into question a time or two. But this is our child. This is Micah Jordan Tatum. Lots of people believe that Michael Jordan, uh, they call him the greatest of all time. The next slide has this uh, image. This is a viral meme right now. You see this all over the place. This picture of Michael Jordan crying as he's giving his uh, Hall of Fame induction speech. You see this with everything these days. It's the strangest thing. But he's even the king of memes at this point, which is fun. He has made the Charlotte Hornets, who, if you know anything about basketball, are perennially terrible. He's made them into a team that has a chance to win a playoff series today. It's incredible. He's even that good of an owner. He took the NBA to a new level. I want to show you this chart. Uh, this is shoe sales in the year 2012. Michael Jordan sold two uh, $2 billion worth and $2.5 billion worth. LeBron James is next, and he's at $300 million. Now, whoever's spending that much money on shoes, well, I have questions for to begin with, but the popularity of him still is so outside of everyone else. He's not even in a category with anyone else. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. But let me go back to our original question. How great is Jesus? Jesus is greater than Michael Jordan. Now, you might not be sports fans, so maybe this next guy will help you. 
What about Prince? Oh, I know. Too soon? <laughs> Who knew? The last few days, the last week or so, everything in the world has turned purple. I just want to show you some of the images. The Eiffel Tower. That's not in America. It's certainly not in Minnesota. This iconic landmark of the world in Paris, France, turns purple in memory of Prince. This is the Forum in Los Angeles. This is where tons of things have happened. But the Forum turns purple for Prince. And, of course, this is the bridge in Minneapolis that, that turned purple in honor of Prince. And all of that's fine. It is. The, the next one, uh, just so you know, rumor has it even the Vikings will be wearing purple for home games next year. Maybe in honor of Prince, may not be, but it's neither here nor there. I showed you, uh, I showed you Space Jam just a few minutes ago. This Purple Rain movie, I've never seen it and probably won't. It, its average score is like 6.3 on a critic scale, which I don't know if that's good or not. It didn't seem all that good. But the cells of that movie have gone through, uh, through the roof lately. He has sold 16,000% more albums in the last week than he has in the last year. It's incredible. The Color Purple is this uh, brilliant movie. If you've never seen it, it's, it's a troubling and, and powerful, powerful movie uh, about racism and sexism and what it means to be sisters and this show has been moved to Broadway. And on Broadway, they closed their show by honoring Prince. It's interesting. The world looks and sees Prince as this great figure, and maybe he is. But let me ask you the original question again. How great is Jesus? And Jesus is greater than Prince. There's a guy named Buddha uh, many, many years ago who tried to free the body from materialism, and lots of people have followed his teachings for a long time. But let me ask you the, the original question again. How great is Jesus? And I think we all agree Jesus is greater than Buddha. There's a guy named Muhammad, about 600 A.D., who wanted to create this upright society that worships God as God is revealed in the Quran. Let me ask you the original question again. How great is Jesus? And we answer that Jesus is greater than Muhammad. Stephen Hawking has dedicated the last several years, the, his entire life, to answering philosophical questions through scientific inquiry. And he's generally believed to be the smartest man living who has unraveled some of the secrets of the universe. And let me ask the original question again. How great is Jesus? Jesus is greater than Stephen Hawking. How great is Jesus? In the book of Hebrews, which is where we'll spend our time this morning, we read that Jesus is greater than the angels. In chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he said, Let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is greater than the angels, than the host of heaven. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, 
we find out that Jesus is greater than Moses. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus is greater. How great is Jesus? And the answer is simple. Jesus is the greatest. We begin with that this morning. And instead of continuing to ask that question, why don't we rephrase it? Why is Jesus greater than all of these? And I think Hebrews gives us three distinct reasons. The first one is this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the very beginning of the book, long ago God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the creator of the world, and who else can claim such a feat? No one. He is the reflection of God's glory. If you remember in in the story of Moses, Moses begs God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, and I will. And so Moses has to hide in this rock, and God covers his face as he walks by, pronouncing his name, and as he removes his hand from Moses' face, Moses sees the back of God. And when Moses comes down the mountain, do you remember what he looked like? His face was shining. The people couldn't bear to look at him. The glory of God. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. The world is held together in Jesus Christ. Creation that he created is sustained within him. And finally, he inherited the name that is more excellent than theirs. This, what name would Jesus have inherited? He inherited the name of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God. Second thing that we need to recognize about Jesus is this. Jesus is the means of salvation. There is no other means. In in Hebrews 1 verse 3, which we just saw, it said, When he made purification for sins, this is something that has happened. In Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 through 9, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus Christ is the source of our salvation. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is always able to save Before we even think this is not about us, we discover that it is. It is for all time. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, uh, and then verses 15 say, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal 
redemption. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. We are redeemed by Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. When we talk about salvation, if we do not mention Jesus, we have missed it. Jesus is the means of our salvation, and there are no other means for salvation. He removes our sins from us by sacrificing himself. Third reason that I think we need to believe that Jesus is the greatest is that Jesus did all of this as a human. He is just as human as you and I. I'm going to read a long passage here, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 5, going to go through verse 18. Now God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels, But someone has testified somewhere, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You have made them a little lower, a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now, in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father, For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them, us, brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same Things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are there, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Church, when we say that Jesus is our salvation, we need to acknowledge that Jesus did this as a human. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Christ is the greatest because he became man so that God could sympathize with us. So it should be clear to us 
based on Hebrews, that Jesus is greater than anyone who has ever lived. In fact, when we speak of Jesus, we believe we are speaking of God. Church, do you believe that there is no one greater than Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became man and died for us, is the greatest? And this is the gospel. That God has saved us. So church, the question becomes, how are we to live and conduct ourselves in light of Jesus? This is what the recipients of Hebrew needed to know. And I think it's what we need to know as well. If you were here last week, uh, or if you listened to Patrick's sermon online, he spent a lot of time defining exactly what it means to encourage. And I think that the point of Hebrews is that, or at least one point of Hebrews, is that we need to encourage one another. Patrick did a good job of defining it as doing whatever it takes to build someone up. So when we encourage someone, we are doing whatever it takes to build someone up. And I want to add to what he said as we continue to think through how this looks for us. And there are two distinct ways that I think Hebrews is calling us to encourage one another. And the first one is this. I believe we can be encouraging by pointing each other to Jesus. The reason for going through this this talk this morning about how Jesus is greater than Michael Jordan and Prince and whoever you want to fill in the blank with, the reason for doing that is that we need to be reminded of that sometimes. If you see the way that people praise one another, that people praise celebrities, that people praise everything in the world, whoever they want, we need, to be, we need to be reminded to praise Jesus because he is greater than those. The book of Hebrews is this letter of exhortation and it's kind of what we would call a word of encouragement. When we read Hebrews, that's kind of what we, what we get. And the people who received this seem to be suffering for their faith with some of them even falling away. Whoever wrote this book wanted to remind the people of the supremacy of Jesus that Jesus is the greatest. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is greater than the host of angels. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is greater than Moses himself. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is greater than Melchizedek, who's a shadowy figure from the Old Testament. Because whoever wrote Hebrews, whoever spoke Hebrews, wants us to know that Jesus Christ is God. And if we are a people who belong to God, we need to encourage one another by pointing each other back to him. We need to point each other back to Jesus. So let me ask you this, church. Can we help each other see Jesus in our suffering? I think that's one way we could encourage each other. Can we help each other see Jesus in our victories? Finally, can can I help you see Jesus in your life, in your stories, in your experiences? Because we do not serve a God who is distant. We serve a God who came here, who is present. First thing we need to do is encourage each other by pointing each other to Jesus. 
But the second way we can be encouraging to one another is by committing to being together. Committing to seeing one another. Yesterday, uh, Lindsay took Micah to Dallas, Texas to see his grandparents who are going to watch him for a week while we are in um, California. I have not seen my parents in about six months. And next Saturday, I will see my parents for the first time in about six months. I'm excited to see them. It's been six months, and we're relatively close. Um, You know that feeling. Uh, What does it feel like to be reunited with someone you have missed? I think we need to consider that. Last summer, David Walton was down at St. Louis pursuing an opportunity with the opera there. It was great. Uh, and, And David came back, and we... Uh, found our way to his house. And my two-year-old son at the time, Micah, uh, who you've seen, uh, when he first saw him, he asked David, he ran up to David and asked David to hold him. And he told David that he had missed him and that he loved him. Very sweet moment. Uh, Is that how we feel about each other? I think it can be. I think it should be. It's not sometimes how we are around each other, though. We're sometimes reserved, and and we value our privacy above sharing with each other. Let me address one part of this. Uh, Our tendency when things go wrong, when things happen in our lives, is that we tend to disintegrate, to go from being integrated to removing that to try to handle tough situations on our own. I know I do this frequently. But church, I think that's the problem. Whether it's sin or finances or family problems or work issues, we try to take care of these problems on our own, and eventually the the problems kind of take over us. I saw this uh, all the time at the camp I used to direct. I, I directed a youth camp during the summers. High school kids and and often even the the adult staff uh, would come to the camp with issues that they had internalized all year long, just waiting for the setting to be just right. And when the setting was just right, when they had the opportunity, they would unload their hearts to all of us. And it's great that they felt they could do this with us, and we would pray with them, and we'd hold them accountable, and we'd talk to them, you know, past the time that the camp was over. But for whatever reason, they never felt comfortable doing this with their church. They secluded themselves from their church families and would be confessional and open with people they saw once a year. And I think we do the same thing. I do this. It made me sad. I don't think that any church, including this one, should be afraid of being honest with each other, of sharing our struggles with each other, of sharing who we are with one another. So I want for you to repeat this phrase after me, because I I think we just need to be reminded of simple truth. We are in this together. All right, let's do that two more times. We are in this together. We are in this together. Do you believe that? Our elders say this a lot. We are a family on a spiritual journey together. 
We are not all in the same place on the journey, but we are all on the journey, so we all need each other. Church, do you want to be encouraged? And I think we have to commit to seeing each other. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Nobody wants that. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Church, is it still today? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, but encouraging one another. Next week, Rob's going to talk just a little bit about what else is in that verse. We cannot provoke one another to good deeds, to loving God more. We cannot encourage each other on this journey if we never see each other. So let me conclude this with offering two challenges for the week. First, point each other to Jesus. Is Jesus present in our lives? Help each other see it. Second way that we can do this is by committing to being together on this journey. Cannot encourage me if you never see me. Come see me. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to turn it over to Leon, who's going to close us in prayer.